0: was therapeutic driving the scooter along at such a slow pace that you don't have to pay any attention to the road at all and you can take in all the scenery
1: this is the adventure sports podcast brought to you by 180 tack get out there and have some fun
2: Episode 255, Robert Sheeran rides a 50cc scooter 4,600 miles from Vail, Colorado to Anchorage, Alaska. All right, for all of you motorcycle enthusiasts out there, check out members.adventuresportspodcast.com. If you're a member of that site, you can save 15% on Rever. If you haven't heard about Rever, it's a great app and website where you can plan your motorcycle rides. You can transfer that ride from the internet over to your device, whether it be an Android or iPhone, and you can also share it with your friends. On the phone, you can link up with your buddies and see where they're riding and, uh, and get together with them and take your ride. So check it out. It's members.adventuresportspodcast.com and look forever. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is Travis. On the line with me today is Robert Sharon. Uh, I found Robert on Facebook, and he was actually, um, I think he was a friend of a friend's is the way I came across you, Robert. And I thought your story was really cool. Um, Robert had overcome some uh, some issues with addiction, with uh, drug and alcohol addiction, and he wanted to give back to society. So what he did was he came up with this... Uh, grand scheme of riding a 50 cc scooter from vale colorado all the way up to anchorage alaska which is a 4600 mile tour so we're going to go into who robert is and what made him decide to take on such a such a crazy little adventure so first of all robert thanks for joining me thanks for having me appreciate it yeah my pleasure so let's uh, dive into a little bit who, of who you are, where you're from, uh, kind of where do you come from? Give us a feel for who Robert Sheeran is.
0: I come from, i uh, born and raised in a town just outside Vail, Colorado, and so grew up in the mountains, skiing my whole life. I am the oldest of four kids with two amazing parents and uh, three pretty awesome siblings as well. And grew up up there. Um, life was full of, like, my backyard was a mountain. So I was always just exploring with uh, my siblings and friends, building tree forts, uh, and getting into other shenanigans in the woods. And that was a <laughs> big part of growing up. And then hanging out. Um, then in college was down in Boulder, where I um, enjoyed that scene, always making sure to... Stay close to the mountains and skiing um, was always a massive part of my life, and so that's where I grew up. In Avon is where I grew up.
2: Yeah, so Avon, just west of of Vale, Colorado. I just dro- drove through there yesterday, as a matter of fact. Nice. It's, uh, looking nice up there as usual. Was it snowing?
0: I Not hope. in Avon. It
2: was snowing on the other side,
0: <laughs> okay, uh,
2: by Copper and uh, Silverthorn. But it was it was dry in Avon. Nice. Okay. All right, so you grew up there, you had a bit of a, an adventurous background, I take it um so then you ended up in uh in school down at University of Colorado in Boulder. Um, let's get into what it was that uh that kind of changed your life and and what you ended up getting into that made you decide to take a a little scooter that far. I mean, most people don't do that, so
0: let's uh let's go into that <laughs> story yeah, so. Well, a big part of the trip and the whole reasoning behind it is sobriety, right? Um, and not necessarily the motivation, but it came out of me um, getting sober. And so I'll start with back up to veil um, where I, event, I first started drinking and partying, um, other drugs and whatnot um, in high school. Nothing crazy at first. It was just me and my friends getting drunk, get, drinking Budweiser's, having a good time. And, um, you know, for me, um, I would say definitely the adventurous type and an adrenaline junkie at heart. Um, but what really it was was me drinking and uh, getting high to change the way I felt. And, um, that worked, you know, I became the person that I kind of always wanted to be, you know, I was able to talk and to people, to girls or whatever the case may be, it just made me feel more comfortable and um, changed the way I felt um, drinking and getting high did. And it was fine in high school, kind of, um, when I say kind of, like, <laughs> I got in trouble. Stealing was a big part of my story as well. Stealing liquor and um, ran into some trouble with the law. And um, you know, most of my friends that all well, I didn't get in trouble alone. I got in trouble with uh, four of my best friends. And you know, those four kind of seemed to get it. Like we're in trouble, we should chill out yeah. and not. might, might recognize like, something here. Yeah, yeah, and um you know, I was full throttle from there, you know, they would, you know, when your best friends that you're, you're stealing with, they look at you and they're like, yo, you're crazy. (laughs) Uh, You know, maybe. And I'm just like, Oh, I thought it was just part of the crew, you know? And, um, and yeah, I became kind of known for like crazy Rob pulling these different types of shenanigans here and there. And, um, that just moved. I stayed out of trouble for the remainder of high school after we got caught stealing. But, um, once I got to college, it was like game on, you know, I wasn't living under mom and dad's roof anymore there. And, um, the first week of college in Boulder, Boulder's a pretty big party school. Um, and the first week I woke up in detox after, um, just going out to party with my friends one night and, um, Nothing crazy happened, Um, just the police uh, brought me home or brought me to detox, dropped me off and I I blacked out so I don't really remember exactly um, how I got there. But I I do remember the next morning waking up and calling my dad, um, some tears, pretty upset. And one thing I do remember was promising him that this would not happen again. And The next weekend I was back in the drunk tank um, and that was just from another night going out Friday night blacking out and uh, getting picked up by the cops like I wasn't causing any trouble. I was just drunk stumbling walking home back to the dorms and they picked me up. And um, so I had to stay clean for the remainder of the year because Boulder had a strict policy of three strikes and you're out okay. at University of Colorado, and um, I tried my hardest to control my drinking, and what that looked like was anything from only drinking beer to um, carrying a sharpie around and marking on my hand how many drinks I had to picking a drinking buddy to say, hey, we're I'm only drinking when you drink, you know, and I'm. Um, that, that kind of worked for a little bit, but eventually um, I I just went back to the way I wanted to drink, and it got me in trouble for a third time, and that was that was a big one for me. Um, I, I I remember it was like finals week, spring semester. I just had finished my final. I had one more to go, it was Saturday night, and I had a couple days in between the tests. And I went out with my friends and I will. well, for me, I, I said I was only going to have two beers and I did, but those two beers were 40 ounces, And, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, so like telling my dad, the story, like after I had gotten in trouble, I was like, I only had two beers and then it came out that they were forties and that wasn't, um, that it made, made a lot more sense. So I had the two beers and, um. Ended up going to grab pizza with some friends and uh, got in a fight in the parking lot of Cosmos Pizza on the hill in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> you know it. Many people do. Late night pizza place. There's a decent crowd, and, um, you know, I'm sure I said something smart to the wrong person. And, um, Got jumped by three guys and was kind of wrestling around in the parking lot and the police showed up and I knew like I couldn't get in any more trouble. Three strikes are out. So I I took off running. I dodged one cop, juked him out and he kind of fell to the ground and he popped back up and shot me with a taser. And from there, it was kind of game over. I fell in the middle of Broadway and was carried off in a gurney on a stretcher.
2: Dang This is serious.
0: Yeah, it was. (laughs) This is what it looked like. Not all the times when I partied, but I would have like some bad luck is what I attributed it to forever. Bad luck and a lot of blame on the Boulder police, but I could never accept responsibility. Yeah. But as I was getting loaded into the ambulance, all my friends that went to get pizza were like just alongside of Cosmo's, like. Watching this happen and I made eye contact with every one of them while I was on the stretcher and I was Thinking like something has to change something has to change and the next day I woke up in jail and um, I begged my parents at this time were kind of fed up with me calling from these institutions and They weren't so willing to just bail me out this time and I was able to talk to the police and convince them to let me out because um, my parents wouldn't pay bail. And I had one more final to go. And the cop did. And the jail in Boulder is quite a few miles from campus where I needed to walk back to. So I had a long time to walk back and think. <laughs> it
2: is a trick. <laughs> I've never
0: been to sign it. <laughs> So like Balmont and whatever, back to college in was the dorm i was walking to and i had made my mind up on this long walk back that i was going to change my life and things were going to start to be different and all my problems i could attribute them to drinking and using drugs um and i was you know i had i made that five, 10, 20 year plan was made right then and there like i'm i need to stop doing this and I got back to the dorm and, well, in Colorado, weed is, it's legal now, but it was always huge. And I got back and my friends, we, you know, they were hanging out and I rolled a spliff with them and got high right then after I had to no, just kidding. told myself I'm changing my life. Because that's the only way I knew how to deal with these uncomfortable feelings, the way I I dreaded feeling the way I felt that day. And that anxiety, that depression, that that didn't necessarily like all come from drinking. And on those crazy nights after I did something, I was full of regret. Like Those feelings came on a regular basis. And the only way I knew how to deal with those was with drugs and alcohol. So I didn't really look at it as though I had I was never an alcoholic, or I was never a drug addict in my mind, because my definition classified a drug addict and <laughs> an alcoholic as someone who uses drugs every single day or drinks every day, and most likely wears a trench coat and lives underneath a bridge and is homeless. Um, right. That's just the way I thought of it. And you know, I wish I could tell you, like, at age um, 20, I had figured it out. That's how old I was then but I hadn't, and um, I drank for four more years and partied for four more years, so now you kind of have a little background of what it looked like for me partying, and um, uh, fast forward to age 24, and I was starting my seventh year of college at the University of Colorado, and um, I was back in college after getting suspended a few times, and my uh, it was I was just kind of realized I went out hard one Thursday night with some friends, drank like I usually drink. But I, at this point, I was only drinking tequila, I remember. And I thought that was I found the magical concoction. Um, and I, I just ended up blacking out again. for, And nothing was that serious happened. You know, I kind of ruined a relationship, saw the way my friends treated me. Um, when I was blacked out drunk um, from that, the new app Snapchat had just came about. And so I saw a bunch of Snapchats from the night prior. I was like, oh, no wonder my friends don't respect me because I am kind of a clown and I act that way. And so I decided that, you know, after that next morning, I was like on the phone with my like one of my best friends, Blake. I remember talking to him. I was. Like, I need to change. Something needs to happen. And I was like, I need to quit smoking weed. And he was like, Dude, you don't really black out from smoking weed and make a fool of yourself. Like, if you think <laughs> that's problem. your problem, <laughs> maybe you should quit drinking and and smoking weed. If that's another issue for me, which it was, and all the other drugs, and I was like, All right, I'll quit everything until I graduate um, school. And so. I I stopped um, after that Thursday night, and I I could stop for four days, and I, I felt terrible, like all the sweating and shaking. And The last night of drinking, I did have this massive cut on my leg that the stitches got ripped open, and I thought that was infected, and that's why I'm shaky and sweaty and can't sleep. So I went to the doctor on campus for a... Doctor's note to get out of class that I had missed that morning, and um, I asked her to look at my cut, and she said nothing's wrong with your cut. She fixed it, and she's like, "Is any? But you look terrible, and some your vitals are all whacked. What's going on?" And I told her, "Oh, you know, I, I had a really hard night of partying on Thursday, and by now it's Tuesday, <laughs> and um, I just told her I'd quit drinking and doing drugs, and I'm." I'm clean now. And I thought it was fixed. And she was like, what she suggested right then and there was I should go to the detox, um, which was basically the drunk tank. Um, And in my head, I was like, I can't go there. You know, I've woken up there. Um, I'm not going back. No, thank you. And she was pretty adamant about me going to rehab. Then I said, no. And she said, well, I can't write you a letter unless you, um, get help. And I was furious because I had missed a speech and I was like, ah, oh, I'm screwed. And so i I left Wardenburg health center on CU's campus bawling my eyes out, not really knowing what to do. Um, and I w- decided to go to my boss on campus and I was a security guard at the time. And I went to her, um, and I was crying and I just said, you know, I've been told several times by different counselors that I might have a drinking problem. Um, and this time this nurse told me and I, I kind of believe it and I need help. I don't know what to do. And I can't come into work today because I'm a wreck. And my boss was completely amazing. And I worked in the UMC, which is the University Memorial Center on cap- campus in Boulder. and." she walked me downstairs in this building I used to work in. And she took me to this room that three weeks prior, um, it was an empty room on campus in the center. And it had transformed into the, universe, uh, the University of Colorado um, Recovery Center. And it's kind of like she dropped me off at daycare. <laughs> like, here you go. And um, the director of... The center was there, and he asked me what's going on, <laughs> and um, I told him what had been going on the past couple of weeks in of my life, and he was like, "You should go to rehab." I was like, "Ah, I, I can't go to rehab, man. I'm in year seven of college, which is already not normal. I just need to to get it done." And he suggested me um, seeking help out help out um, through other means, and I was like you know, I, I can't do that either. Like, It's not for people like me. Like, I need people that are my age getting sober or whatever that means. And he told me I could hang out in this recovery center on campus as long as I wasn't getting high before I came in. And so that's what I did. I started hanging out there and meeting other kids that came, that went to see you, that were sober and were kind of living life just like me and going through the same challenges because um, a sober college student in my mind was an oxymoron and how am i supposed to have fun if i'm not partying and getting high with my friends because that was the only way i knew how to have fun and um so in this whole process i I drove a scooter, like a little Honda Metropolitan 49cc, beaten up scooter that my friends, everyone would ride on the back of that thing, man. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> there were several arguments, like when I was drinking, like rob you're way too drunk to drive that home and i was like yeah right like, it's just was, a scooter it's just a scooter nothing can happen and like some nights i would be like how did i get home like i hope hope i i and walk out the front door thinking i'm gonna go and pick my scooter up from the part the house we were at the prior night <laughs> and it was right there on its side oh, and man. i'm like oh and that's how i got home like it was a miracle and so um and that was, you know, I lived in the Spanish Towers. I remember in Boulder on like 30th Street and Colorado, like pretty close to there, and which is a long way from the bars um, on Pearl Street if you're driving a scooter and don't remember it. And um, but so I'm now I'm getting sober, and you know, for anybody who's gotten, it's not even about just getting sober, but like going through change right anybody who's gone through like an abrupt change in their lives they they know what these the the feeling feeling the feelings and i was really feeling feelings at this time and not knowing what to do with them um and i would take my scooter and just drive up into the flat irons and like at some points it was a little embarrassing because boulder has a huge cyclist community and i'm like Everyone would be biking up the flat irons and I would be chugging along on my scooter, like maintaining conversation with these cyclists. (laughs) Like, hey, how's it going as we're going up the steep parts? Asking them to slow down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because the scooter is going so absurdly (laughs) slow. And I'm like, oh, man, these guys are working. And I'm like, but uh, I mean, cruising at the slow speeds and just that would help me. I would do that for hours. Anytime I felt like getting high or going and drinking, um, cause you know, I still, my, my friends could drink normally and not like ruin their lives. And I would still hang out with them, but sometimes it was hard. So I would go on these long scooter rides and then, um, so the idea didn't necessarily spark just from that, but, um, I also had one of my best friends, Tony. Um, his name's Tony Seibert. He, he lived with me for a little bit on my couch, and we would always uh, talk about moving. Him and I were the only ones, um, and another buddy, Blaze, we were the only three that like, left in college because everyone had graduated in a timely manner. And Tony and I were on year seven. Um, and after we graduated, we were going to move up to Alaska and um, just continue our life as ski bums. Um, We'd both done these um, big mountain competitions and skiing was a huge part of both of our lives. Um, And so after we graduated, moving up to Alaska was one of the ideas that both of us had. And um, Tony passed away skiing in an avalanche on July 7th, or I mean January 7th, um, during Christmas break before we went back for our final semester. And um, that was pretty, obviously, death is like difficult to deal with. And, um, you know, staying sober through that was only possible because of Tony. You know, I would go out to parties with him and people would be kind of confused why I wasn't drinking anymore. And Tony would be like, Robert's sober now. He is like three weeks sober. And he was so proud of me. I was embarrassed to the fact and Tony was here next to me bragging about the fact that I'm sober and you know that was a huge at three months sober to have one of your best friends die and like not get high to kind of numb out um, right. that that was what kept me going was the fact that he would brag about me being sober as I was kind of like a little skittish I'm like hey, shut up man <laughs> but um, so I remember like I was February, there was um, something called a startup weekend in Boulder, Colorado, which is a bunch of entrepreneur-type-minded people get together for one weekend, form teams, and um, work on these business ideas, and hope to – the goal by the end of the weekend is to have some business idea and a team form that you can continue working on afterwards. And people pitch wild ideas at these events. I don't know if you've ever been to one, but I was at this one and this guy said, you should pitch your, an idea, any idea. And I was like, well, and Tony had just passed away. And I, I, want to, and I, had, I don't know where the idea of like the scooter, like I had, just, it was therapeutic driving the scooter along at such a slow pace that you don't have to pay any attention to the road at all. And you can take in all the scenery. And um, I had once been to Alaska prior with my dad. And any skier knows like that's the destination for skiing. Everyone wants to go heli skiing in Alaska. And Alaska is just badass in general. And I'm, I got up there and I pitched this idea of, like, I want to drive a scooter to Alaska um, and somehow raise money in order to pay off student debt. <laughs> um, oh, <so> <laughs> that, was that, was <laughs> that was the absurd idea. That was the, like, because you had 30 seconds to get up in front of a crowd and pitch an idea. So that was the idea I pitched. And it ended up like, getting voted on to like, start a team around. And people came around me and were like, this is a, we'd like this idea. And I was like, this is the stupidest idea ever.
2: <laughs> Who are you people?
0: <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And and it, it didn't work. Like we didn't even focus on that idea for the weekend. I was like, no, this is absurd. You guys are absurd. I don't even want any part of my own idea. So, see ya. I'm starting a team with these people that have a viable idea. And, um, but I, I had, After that weekend and starting to like mull it around, I was like, I could drive a scooter. I could totally drive a scooter to Alaska. The whole student loan thing, that was just the business side of things. But I remember writing in a journal and writing how I'm going to drive this scooter to Alaska. Um, And I had my buddy Blake and my other buddy Gio on board. And those two were like the two few friends. That thought this was a good idea they didn't even necessarily think it was a good idea they kept asking why not a motorcycle (laughs) something a little (sighs) faster maybe and i was like you don't get it though like we don't like and eventually they kind of fell out of the equation and it just became me and i knew that i was still struggling in the sense with i mean i think it's the common human struggle to figure out after you're graduating college, what am I going to do now if you don't have a job set up? And um, I thought that the time on this trip is where I would figure out not only what am I going to do, but I also had a a huge fear of being alone with myself. And I struggled with that forever. You know, if it's a Saturday and I want to go on a hike by myself, Like, I will go through my phone book and call anybody before I go on that hike by myself. And so I knew to overcome that, like a scooter, you're kind of stuck going 25 to 35 miles an hour. Like, you can't get anywhere fast if you start, like, feeling lonely. And I knew that would uh, make me deal with that fear. And so that was another part of the scooter trip. And then... Yeah, that's pretty much those two. The combination of wanting to move to Alaska and then not really gonna happen after Tony passing away, and um, it was pretty meditative driving a scooter um, long distance, um, paired with the idea of being alone for three months and having nowhere to go to escape.
2: Yeah, so it was more of a to force yourself into solitude and and work mm-hmm. through everything you needed to work through. I get that.
0: Nice, <laughs> and that's difficult to explain in one go to some people. And some people just look at you like, "Yeah, you're crazy."
2: No, I think even people that aren't, you know, hung up on on drugs or alcohol. I mean, that's a that's a soul <laughs> benefit, you know, for anybody to be able to do something like that. I totally get. Mm-hmm. it.
0: Yeah. And then I think from there, like I had a lot of pushback from, uh, definitely my parents. My parents were number one fans of me not doing this trip, and were hoping and praying anybody could talk me out of it. Yeah, you don't. And it, it made sense, mom and dad not wanting their son to go and drive an absurd distance on such a slow because you're in the shoulder of a road. You are getting passed by semis and the chances of getting clipped by a car pretty high. And then of course, everyone's like, are you going to get eaten by bears in Canada and all that stuff?
2: Yeah. But the reality is that slipping back into drugs and alcohol is uh, far more <laughs> serious and risky. You know, you think about it. Yeah, riding a scooter on the side of the highway is nothing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, I remember one time my dad would always ask these questions, (laughs) like, "What if this happens? What if that happens?" And I didn't want to say, "I don't know what I'm gonna do." But finally, I was like, "Hey, if you're gonna keep asking these questions, I'm not gonna talk about the trip anymore with you. Like, if you're gonna be negative." let's not talk about it. Or we can, you can talk about it if you're positive about the trip. And the next day he like, he bought this like traveling to Alaska via road, like a $35 app on the phone. And he was all about <laughs> it. And he's like, more excited than I am about the trip now. And like it was a click. Like that was pretty cool to see. So he decides
2: he wants to help you at this point. He's he's saying, well, if my son wants to do this, then I guess I'm going to kind of dive in and and maybe help him work it out.
0: Or at least just stop asking the what if scenarios, because I had no answer to any of these what if you break down, what if blah, blah, blah happens. So I I don't have too much mechanical experience. I know how to replace a flat tire. And luckily, that was the only thing that happened the entire trip was (laughs) one flat tire. Wow. And I I knew how to patch it and later replaced it when I got to Portland, Oregon with my buddy Franco and his dad. So it, it went smoothly.
2: Yeah, it's actually very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you a little bit about this sleeping bag that Big Agnes sent me uh, to check out and review. Um, I'm not going to do a review on it just yet, but I wanted to give you a heads up. I used this thing for the first time on my most recent motorcycle trip. And even though I was sleeping in my van with it, the van was got down to 27 degrees at night. So I had this Storm King zero degree uh, downfield bag with me, and it was the so far the most amazing sleeping bag I've ever been in. I was using it uh, both as a sleeping bag Bag And then some nights I was using it more as a, a comforter over the top of me. And uh, so far, this thing is awesome. It is comfortable, extremely warm, and I can't wait to uh, use it on some winter camping trips. So they also sent me a two track sleeping pad to go with it. And the cool thing about this whole sleep system is the pad is designed to go inside the bottom of the sleeping bag where the sleeping bag's bottom is just uh, it's just nylon without insulation, and the pad is intended to be the insulation, so it's an entire sleep system. So I'll do a whole review on it later when I get a chance to sleep out in the, in the mountains um, with it, but for now, check out BigAgnes.com and see what kind of uh, sleep systems they have for you. Really cool stuff at Big Agnes.
1: Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and splitboarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in, and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events.
2: So how was the idea of of doing this to raise money um, mm-hmm. for the CRC and for the, the scholarship? Uh, how did that come about? Because you, I want to make it clear, you saved up the money that you needed to take the trip. So you did not get donations to have people pay you to take, a, take this trip. You paid it all out of your pocket, but got donations to raise the money. So how was that idea born?
0: Right. So you're right. I saved up for the trip and then the day i bought the scooter i was in eagle colorado i remember it like it was yesterday this this family that i had taught to te- or taught um skiing to earlier that day dropped me off as they were going to the airport they dropped me off at the scooter shop i bought the scooter and was driving home on the scooter stoked on life and kind of shocked that this was actually going to happen and I called the director of the recovery center at CU. And um, I'd majored in entrepreneurship at CU or got a certificate. And that was always been a focus in my mind on small business. And I had played a Kickstarter. I had always been interested in different Kickstarter um, crowdfunding um, companies. And I thought, well, what if I I knew that this project would attract a lot of attention. So I called the director of the recovery center and asked her simply, what if I decided to raise a bunch of money and wanted to donate it to the recovery center? What would that look like? Her response was, you can um, start a scholarship for kids um, involved in the recovery center that are just like you. And from the moment she said that, I was sold on that idea. And um, it was April at this point. So I had only had one month to kind of set up the whole crowdfunding scholarship and get the University of Colorado to approve it and hop on board. And, um, and luckily they did. And, and then I, and so that's how the idea to raise funds and start the scholarship came about.
2: So you decided to go ahead and buy a Honda Ruckus, which is, like we mentioned, a 50cc scooter. It's kind of a rugged Mm -hmm. little thing and set this thing up to go to Alaska. Now, a lot of people, like we mentioned, would take this trip on a bigger motorcycle that would be uh, built. You know, the subframe is strong enough and it has uh, cases, panniers to carry stuff, but You've decided to pack all of your 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 life for a few months onto a little bitty scooter. How did you end up um, loading this thing out to be able to survive for forty six hundred miles on just a little tiny scooter?
0: Yeah, so I I got a big dry bag that's like look and stuffed it full. I had a sleeping bag, a tent, and not too many like the amount of gear that I chose for the trip was pretty minimal i had to be pretty minimalistic and um what two backpacks and this massive dry bag that held everything else in it and envision it as though i have the scooter and then sitting just behind my back in the seat is was this little platform i had with a gas and i brought an extra gas um canister but it's not It doesn't look like the normal um, gallon jug gas canisters. This one was about two and a half inches tall um, by 18 inches wide by three feet in length. And I had that lying flat down atop this little mount just behind the seat. And then I had the dry bag that looks like a massive burrito, (laughs) about three feet tall, bright yellow, um, stuffed full, um, strapped on top of the gas can. And it doubled as something that I could kind of lean my back against and made the scooter a little bit wider. And my parents liked that because it made me a little bit more noticeable. right. right. Um, had some fluorescent tape put on there.
2: But so not much other than that, you, uh, yeah, I was wondering what that little platform was. Now that you say it was a gas can, it totally makes sense, but yeah, there's, there's not much else on this thing. And that's, what's amazing is you have, uh, 4,600 miles to go and the, the most minimal, uh, setup. I mean, we're almost talking bike packing setup with what you took on the road with you. It's pretty incredible actually.
0: Yeah. There was one thing to boil water and that's how I ate, um, just different things a jet boil is what i brought with me and um water purifying um, tools and that's pretty much it though you know? <laughs> and a tomahawk that i didn't use once then that was a pain in uh, uh, the uh to pack every single time And i was like why do i have this awesome tomahawk that i'm not using <laughs> why not <laughs> but, right? why not yeah exactly <laughs>
2: All right, so you head out of Avon, um, and the first thing you did was you went north up to Steamboat, and part of what you were doing on the road was talking to kids at schools. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so that was probably one of the most difficult parts of the trip, was organizing with different schools and um, juvie detention centers to let me come and talk to these kids to basically let them know that. You can get young or sober young, and you can still do fun, crazy things while you're sober. For example, drive a scooter across the country to Alaska. Um, because that was a huge thing for me. Like I didn't believe I'd, if you would have asked me how do you have fun other than like, for me, <laughs> it's, it sounds silly now because most people can answer that question. But, you know, apart from drinking and smoking, it was pretty much embedded in every activity. So I just wanted to let kids know that you can still have fun and do crazy things if you have to stop drinking and getting high. And I started off by calling so many schools. I had a list of um, like 50 plus schools that I wanted to go and stop by along the way. And you can't really call a school and say... (laughs) Hey, uh, I used to be like an active drug addict and alcoholic, and now I'm driving a scooter across the country. <laughs> Let me come and talk Open to the, the kids. Doors.
2: <laughs> They're like, what the hell? Like,
0: <laughs> make sure you do not come through the town. <laughs> um, so I, I had to change up basically the pitch that I gave these counselors or principals every, like I finally molded it into something that, was a little more in line with what they were expecting. I didn't tell them I was on a scooter because not many people, not any, nobody, there was never a reaction from someone when I told them, hey, I'm driving a scooter to Alaska. I think that's a great idea. Not one person said that ever. You know, like, (laughs) that's crazy, (laughs) you know. Yeah, most people are like, that's ridiculous. Some people are like, that's crazy, it's really, really crazy, but it's awesome. (laughs) And, um, but, and so I just told him I was affiliated with the university of Colorado and their collegiate recovery center. And we're doing outreach to high school youth, um, about addiction and recovery and letting them know about our program at this university and, um, this resource and letting them know it exists at others if they're considering college. And, that got me into some schools. Other schools were not so for it. Um, but it, it did start in Steamboat, where luckily I was able to just go and kind of tell my story to kids, basically let them know. Like, you know, it's not up to me whether, and I don't really care if you go and drink and get high. Um, it doesn't bug me one bit, but look, for me, it started causing problems and it didn't allow me to live the life I always wanted to live and um, getting sober and being in recovery is an option for you even though because I never thought it was an option for me and the feedback I got from these kids was pretty awesome um, because there's the DARE program that's like don't drink and don't do drugs and that's not what my message was at all. Um, It was like I know you're going to do what you want to do but There's another way that is pretty badass and cool um, if you see it causing problems in your life and you have to get rid of it. No, life is not over. So I was able to stop in Steamboat and talk to some schools as well as a juvie detention center in Utah. And then I got turned away from schools in Park City and other schools in Utah because I couldn't necessarily call a school and give them a date and time that I would be there.
2: Right, right.
0: It's pretty hard to like estimate It's like several hundred miles on a scooter that goes 25 miles to 35 miles an hour.
2: And you're not into telling them that you're on the scooter anymore. so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're like, saying, how come like, you don't have do you a better think, itinerary than that?
0: Yeah. When do you think you can get here? Oh, well, you know, um, uh, I don't really know where I'm camping tomorrow night. Uh, <laughs> and if it's going to rain, I might have to put – they're they're not so into that, and I remember it was a Wednesday night, and or it was Thursday morning. And I woke up in Nevada off a of highway fifty, like the loneliest road, and I um, you knew Tahoe was the next stop. And I had um, one of my good friends, Caitlin. She opened her house to me in Tahoe. In um, I wanted to, to sleep in a bed, and. I also knew that the high school in Tahoe, if I get there Thursday, maybe I can introduce myself and talk to the principal and he'll let me come and talk Friday. That was my goal. And so I took off Thursday, or I mean Wednesday. Yeah, it was Wednesday morning. I took off and I drove 18 hours straight. It took that long. That was not, I thought I was going to get there much quicker, but it took 18 hours to get to Tahoe through rain and it was snowing and it was miserable. And I, finally showed up at like 4 in the morning to Tahoe. And I had left messages with this principal at, I think it was South Tahoe High School and letting him know I was going to stop to see if I could just chat with um, any high schoolers. Um, so the next morning, after two hours of sleep, I woke up to drive around the lake. I'd never been to Tahoe before, I didn't realize like Tahoe was pretty big. And from the north side to the south side, um, I just hopped. It was a pretty day out. I hopped on the scooter and started driving to the high school. And I didn't think I didn't have my rain gear with me. And it just started pouring rain. And um, so I show up to the school soaking wet. And the way the water built up, it kind of looked like I had just pissed myself completely. (laughs) And here I am going to meet with the principal (laughs) and
2: let me to the students, please.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And he was the man. He was actually, he was really cool. He saw me right away. And I kind of told him what's going on, expecting him to say, yeah, come back tomorrow. And he's like, Oh cool. Yeah. There's a class right now. Let me make sure you can talk to them. I was like, great soaking wet. Look like I pissed myself. Like they're, Kids are gonna just like, and right when I walked in, like everyone's just laughing, like, and that was the first question: like, did you pee yourself on the way over here? I'm like, no, <laughs> don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you'll turn out. <laughs> exactly. That's hilarious. Cool. No, but it was cool to to chat with them.
2: And that was uh, was that the three hundred fifty five mile leg?
0: Um, there was two of them. Okay. That were that long. There wow. was another one that I did in Alaska that was equally as long.
2: That is, I can't even imagine. I mean, I ride motorcycles and, mm-hmm. you know, 355 miles on one of my big motorcycles is, I mean, it's a normal day ride, you know, it's no record setting thing, but you're you're going to spend the majority of the day doing that, you know, on a big motorcycle. So when I saw that, I cannot even imagine doing 350 miles in one leg on a Honda Ruckus. I mean, that's pretty impressive. For you to do that and then do it a couple of times in this trip
0: yeah it was not a highlight of the trip by any means your your mind starts to wander a lot too at like hour 12 you're like what am i doing this is crazy and you know how sore you get from just sitting on a bike for that long right um and but plenty of red bull and oh it's i'm going on a scooter so and I'm so slow, so I would just kind of get bored and start swerving around <laughs> or see how long I could go with my hands off. That was, like, the big thing, was, like, counting how long I could go with no hands on the bars. And like, yeah, my mom, I'm sure, wouldn't be stoked to know that. But.
2: No, don't tell that story to your mom. Well, I imagine 4,600 miles worth of scooter riding, you have to do something to amuse yourself.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: Hey, if you haven't already done so, make sure you visit our ASP member deals site. It's at members.adventuresportspodcast.com. You can subscribe and get awesome deals on everything adventure. We're even including a free 180 stove with an annual membership. So check it out. It's at members.adventuresportspodcast.com, or you can find a link on the right side of the Adventure Sports Podcast site. It's a great way to support the show and get some great deals for yourself. Never run out of camp stove fuel again. The 180 stove is a natural fuel stove that eliminates the need to carry heavy, bulky fuel canisters. With a generous 6-inch by 7-inch cooking surface, it folds away into a clean, compact, self-forming case that is small enough to fit inside your pocket. At only 10.4 ounces, the additional weight and space savings allows for other important items in your pack. Get more information at 180tac.com and look for it in retailers near you as well as online. Okay, so the route, um, like we said, we left. you left Avon, you went up to Steamboat, and then you cut over across, uh, through Nevada, over to um, the Pacific Coast, and then you went all the way up the Pacific Coast into Canada. So tell me a story from from this trip that was pretty comical. Other than peeing your pants, I um, imagine something. Do you have uh, police stories or
0: animal stories? Yeah. I, uh, I got, the whole time I got pulled over. several times by 10 different cops um (laughs) like it was non-stop and every one of these cops i swear they're all their jokes were dumb and dumber jokes they would like come (laughs) up and drop some dumb and dumber joke on me all the time but
2: a little nippy coming over the pass, eh
0: yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i know it yeah and um usually they were not stoked like when they saw me like they were ready to bust me something because one time I was just swerving back and forth and the guy's like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, I'm on highway 50 in Nevada going maybe 30 miles an hour, extremely bored. What else do you want me to do? And, um, and then I had got pulled over again. Um, it was mostly getting pulled over with, because i didn't have any license plates on for under uh like 50 cc's and under you don't need a a license plate in the state of colorado and but in california and other states you do need a license plate i wondered
2: about that if you had checked the the laws in other states because i knew that was a law here but i wasn't sure if uh if you had reciprocity or or how they treated that if you're over the border
0: yeah the way it works is you do have to have a motorcycle license in other states, technically, but no cop knows that rule at all. Like Every police officer that pulled me over not once was there mention of needing a motorcycle license and um, they always that I could have told them it's allowed in Colorado and they would have let me go, which was pretty sweet. But getting into the border was kind of difficult. Um, from being from Colorado with the whole weed deal right um, up in
2: Canada you mean
0: up in Canada yeah so I remember pulling into the border I had a GoPro on top of my helmet and they were not stoked about me filming them <laughs> so immediately asked me to stop filming and I I, they asked me to come inside and I had also asked, like, where can I exchange um, this American money? Because, I, of course, I lost my debit card and right as I was going into Canada a few days prior. So all I have is cash now. And I needed to exchange it or whatever. And I asked them where I could go. And they're like, oh, just come inside. I'm like, oh, sweet. And I come inside. And I'm, like, thinking they're going to help me exchange these bills. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they're nice, nice. And this lady, like the epitome of like a the bad cop, right? Not stoked. And she's like, asking me all about my trip. Yeah, but I just need to exchange these bills. You don't understand. And she's like, we are not a bank. You are here because you're not being allowed into the border. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And she, they wanted to search my bag. And I had a bunch of fireworks in my bag. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Wow, man. <laughs> you give yourself every opportunity, don't you?
0: <laughs> because I was, like when you come back and people are like, why do you have fireworks? Why do you have fireworks? Well, I can't carry a gun across the border. Um, and then you can't carry fireworks, but they'll just throw the fireworks away. If there's a bear after I go hiking, <laughs> like I, for one instance, I had to use the fireworks. I was in California and I could hear these mountain lions at night close to my tent near redding california just going back and forth and like i just started shooting off different bottle rockets and other firecrackers and that was like i have a knife a tomahawk and some bottle rockets and that's what was gonna keep me safe
2: Dude, i gotta <laughs> give you no- credit on that one though i mean that it sounds funny when you say it but i can't say i've ever thought about firecrackers to uh, to ward off the wildlife <laughs>
0: Yeah, it That's works better than anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's hilarious. Yeah, and so like every hike I went on always had firecrackers. All right, um, all right. You know, I, Interesting. I'm pretty into wildlife and understand like that is a definite amazing tip. Like if you can't carry a gun, carry a flare <laughs> or some firecrackers. All right. Hmm. Um,
2: So how did the uh, the border patrol? Did they end up searching your
0: bag? No, they wanted to search it because I was from Colorado, and who the hell drives a scooter if they're not stoned? And at least this far, they thought. And um, I was luckily able to just have this lady watch the video in this crowdfunding campaign I had for the scholarship. Mm. I convinced her, like, please go to this website and watch this and understand. I am not high right now. <laughs> um, and you don't need to search my bag for weed. And after she watched that, she sent me on my way. And um I drove from there. It was I was kind of rushed. It was getting dark. I was like, Can you just please let me go? I need to find somewhere to camp before dark. And that was another red flag. Do not tell the Border Patrol. You're just going to find somewhere to camp because they are not down with that. No? So I drove through Vancouver and it was pitch black and I found this place to camp. It was by, um, I forget, I think it's Horseshoe Bay, but I'm not 100% sure. Just a little north of Vancouver on the way to Whistler. And I pulled into this park and I thought I set up my tent and everything in in behind, in these trees. I thought I was tucked away pretty well. And then it gets light really early in Canada during the summer. And I woke up and it was already light. And there was like families walking their dogs. And I was just in – I was right next to a playground in this park. (laughs) 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 And I get out of the tent and there's just like families playing with their dogs all around looking at me. Like what the hell is this guy doing here? (laughs) And I got a scooter scooter. parked on the (laughs) one. I'm like, oh, man. Did you shoot any fireworks
2: at him just to get rid No, of I away?
0: should've <laughs> keep <laughs> the kids from like yapping uh, that early. In the morning. So
2: you think you're all tucked away doing some uh some boondocking and turns out you're in the middle of a park with swing sets and stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh so you head up through Canada with your fireworks and you you finally get to where you can cross on the ferry and then over to uh to the state of Alaska. Um you met some a bunch of kids on that ferry that I read about. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that.
0: Um that was pretty awesome. I, it was after being in a lot or in Canada for a couple weeks now um, by myself and I decided to take a ferry from Prince Rupert, British Columbia up to Haines, Alaska. And I hopped on the ferry and ended up there's You could rent a room in the ferry or you could just camp on the deck up high, up top with whoever. And it ended up being a group of 30 plus kids on their summer camp up on the deck, camping on lawn chairs underneath the stars with me. (laughs) And um, it was definitely at this point, the trip was becoming pretty difficult. Um, not necessarily what I had expected it to be Um, I expected it to kind of rejuvenate me um, help me figure out what's to come next in my life and instead it was a lot of isolation and a lot of dread and worry about what's gonna come next in my life Um, and I wasn't it wasn't in the best headspace Uh, that's uh, the way to put it and I I wasn't stoked about the trip anymore, it was a burden and it was kind of like everyone back home is proud of me, but that didn't make an ounce of difference. Like I was telling myself, all your friends have graduated and they have jobs and they're moving on with their life, you know, a lot of comparing and here you are on a scooter in the middle of Canada, <laughs> like what the hell are you doing man, get your life together that was kind of these voices of negativity going on in my head and when i i got on this ferry yet that was my train of thought before i got on the ferry. ferry really rough down what's the point this is a complete waste of time and i'm kind of scared for what the future had to hold and so i then got on the ferry and got to hang out for three days with all these amazing kids that just brought the simplicity of life back into um, my head and I was able to chat it up with them. And, you know, I'm a pretty avid like, child at heart. Like, a lot of this easy, stupid humor gets me going and I'm just can really connect with kids. And, you know, they helped bring me back up. And um, so three days of nonstop drinking Mountain Dew and Running around the ferry, like they almost got kicked off the ferry several times, the whole group because like I get it, like they're kids and they cause nonsense, and uh, I was right there along with them. Um, but not all the other customers on the ferry were stoked to have like thirty, fifteen-year-olds running around like maniacs. Like three that days was definitely this.
2: awesome.
0: Yeah, and and that was my viewpoint too. I was like. Great, I'm on top of this ferry, sleeping on a lawn chair next to 30 kids. This is gonna suck. <laughs> like, that's what I thought, and it changed everything. Like, I got off. Well, it didn't change everything, but like, it definitely helped a lot. And um, I actually ended up connecting with them later in the trip again. You know, um, about a month later in Anchorage, I. They were at a baseball game, and I had coordinated with the the camp counselors that I would surprise all the kids um, at a baseball game in Anchorage and showed up to the baseball game and and surprised the kids, and they were all in shock to see me a month later because they thought they'd probably never see me again. But it was really special. I got to go on there because they were driving a tour bus from Michigan to Alaska and back, and I got to go on their bus and just share my story with all of them that night and it was it was extremely powerful for me at least yeah
2: that's cool yeah so what was uh like the one time that you just had this kind of this revelation along the trip like the the most impactful realization Mm. during this whole time
0: you want to know what that moment or circumstances were yeah
2: yeah what was that what was it like i mean what was the what was the (laughs) moment and what was going on in your head
0: um yeah i know that moment extremely fondly and um it's it's really close to my heart because it not only changed it didn't only change the trip but it it definitely changed my life and you know i got to haynes alaska off this ferry and haynes alaska is where they have the world championships for the free ride world tour which is a big mountain skiing competition
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's something i did and I, I really was looking forward to get to haynes and just see the mountains because that's and i get off the ferry and it's pouring rain and mountains are socked in with clouds you can't see anything and i look at the weather for the next few days and it's rain rain clouds clouds it's just garbage and Three days prior, my morale was extremely low, and I, uh, I wanted to throw in the towel in so many different ways on the trip, on everything, just give up and shut the world out. And um, I, so I, the kids brought me back up on the ferry. I get off the ferry, and my head goes right back to this sucks. What is the point? And I remember, uh, I remember I called Sam from the recovery center and I was really upset in tears. And, you know, I was 18 months sober at this point and thought I had, or I was 20 months sober at this point and thought I had it all figured out. And I was really confused why I was feeling this miserable while I am literally living my dream. I'm on my dream trip. I'm in the middle of Alaska, and um, I'm telling her, like, "I don't understand what's going on. Like, I just want to be happy, and I thought this would make me happy, and I'm not happy." And I also told her, "Like, I think I just need to to learn how to love myself." That's what I told her. That's the problem. I don't know how to do that. And she suggested I go to um, like a twelve step meeting. And asked if they have those in Haynes, Alaska. And I was like, oh, that's the last place I want to be right now, actually. <laughs> um, and they did. And I went to one of those meetings where I met this guy named Joe. And this was the first time I had shared openly at a meeting um, how I was feeling. You know, the way I was feeling was like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm living my dream. And. I have never been more miserable in my life. I don't know why. And I'm 20 months sober. And I remember being told by a therapist that at 18 months sober, you start feeling much better. And that was, I'd never felt worse. And so I was just waiting for something to happen. And this guy, Joe, asks me, (laughs) he asks me, he comes up to me after this meeting and tells me that he, he's felt the same way. And um, he asks if I had ever like, done the work of these 12 steps, been through them with anybody. And I said, no, I, I don't really have time for the hat. Um, I'm trying to figure my life out right now. And yeah, his response to that was like, oh, well, do you want to go through them with me? And I said, absolutely not. And he replied to that with, do you have to be somewhere? I I was like, yeah, well, uh, wallowing in my, in my own sorrow, like in the woods right now, is like where I want it to be, just isolating, or with no one around. And that may sound strange, but you know, that's that's just where I go when I'm in a bad place. I I want to be shut off from the world, and I don't want anybody to know right. like, that I feel like. Shit. Don't ask me. I just want to be alone. And. So I told Joe, no, thank you, but thank you. And this lady came up to me after the meeting, and she told – what did she – it was raining, and she offered me a place to stay. She had an old Airstream trailer parked in her front yard, and she said I could crash in that for as long as I wanted to. And I was like, sweet, I don't have to pitch a tent in the rain, which is by far the worst experience – Taking a tent down in the rain is actually worse. It's worse. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> second is putting it up. Um, and um, so I say yes, and I take her up, and I immediately drive to her place, and I'm telling her this weird guy, Joe, from the meeting, wants to, to take me through these steps. And her reply to that was, that sounds great. I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and she asked, well, do you have to – you?" She said I should do it, and I said no, and she's like, well, do you have to be somewhere? And I was like, right when she said that, it was like <laughs> a sign from something, you know, and I was like, all right, maybe I'll call this guy Joe, and I went and met with Joe, and he was on vacation from Seattle for the next six days with his family, and he offered to hang out with me every day and take me through these steps and you know those six days of spending the time and doing all this work that was suggested and just following joe's direction um, it changed my life and that that's that's the moment i like, it wasn't like a moment but it was through that set of circumstances and in those six days that i spent with joe that was the turning point where then i started going on like a different trajectory and i left haynes Feeling I think so high and happy, like something that I hadn't felt like pretty much the entire trip since wow. the first day of leaving Vale, yeah, I that's huge, you know, so that's that moment,
2: huh, the realization well, it sounds like it was meant to be that's that layover in uh in Haynes it sounds like it pretty much changed your life at that point,
0: yeah, and then the coincidences like. The amount of coincidences that had to happen for that to line up are pretty absurd because I wasn't supposed to be on that ferry in the first place. Um, I was supposed to be on one that got in three days later. The whole meeting that I went to, it only happens every other day in Haynes. Joe had just gotten off a flight in, from Seattle. I could list uh, like a million more um, that made it work out
2: for Oh, them. yeah. Well, even all the way back to the, uh, you know, you said the CRC had just been built three weeks prior to you entering it, and you know, had yeah. that not been ready for you, things could be completely different. Yeah, that's very true. Wow. So you've been sober now. What's this? Three years now.
0: Yep. Well,
2: good yeah, for you, man. Congratulations. It's, Thank uh, you. Obviously, I you know I, I don't know what it's like, but I have to to think that it's gonna it's gonna be you know, near impossible to do. So I know that's a huge uh, achievement that you've done. So definitely congratulations on that. And I hope the the story that you're telling uh, basically gets into some ears of people that might need to hear it, you know, to realize that there's other stuff out there and there's, uh, you just got to find your reason to quit and uh, and follow those steps and follow it through and find some help where uh, where help is.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's different for everybody, but just knowing it's out there is pretty cool in itself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, now back to the reason you did the ride, which, you know, allows us to circle back to that. Your point was to make sure that people understood that it was out there. It wasn't so much to run around the country and tell people don't don't drink, don't do drugs. It was more that, look, you know, if if you do find yourself in this situation, just realize that you're not alone, you're not lost. There are places Um, especially with your message, there are places for for students and college kids that you can turn to. And uh, your point was to bring, uh, shed a light on the the Collegiate Recovery Center uh, in your situation. Exactly. So you raised, uh, if I have this right, $24,685?
0: Yeah, and there was additional donations afterwards from over 200 people that raised um, over $25,000. Wow. And that was the final numbers. Yeah.
2: That is cool. Very cool. And one of the things that I was reading, one of the things you were you were also raising money for was for a Second Chance Scholarship. Tell me a
0: little bit about that. So that scholarship was, is, and actually we just gave away the first scholarships um, to the recipients this spring uh, 2017 semester at University of Colorado Um, and that is for anybody who's involved in this recovery center on campus and let me set this straight the recovery center on campus is a room um, that has some couches some chairs in it uh, and some tables for you to do homework at but it's there for students to come in at any point during their day before class after class and meet other students that are in their same circumstances or going through similar things and there's different they have different activities going on to bring kids closer together or just to have fun at you know and um, it's a pretty cool place and that's that's where so the scholarships for kids that are involved in that community on campus and um, they're usually to get the scholarship, you have to be a pretty a big member of the community and willing to um, to help out and help basically help other students that are going through similar things and share what was given to them.
2: Okay. Yeah. And so what does the scholarship do for them? How does it help out? Is it scholarship for education or to take care of of some bills as they're going through this? Or
0: Yeah, so we decided to leave that open to each individual student to choose how they're going to um, have the funds directed, whether that's towards tuition or towards rent or um, whatever they have going on in their life. Just to lend them a,
2: a helping hand as they're exactly. pursuing.
0: Yeah. Because there's a lot of non-traditional students. We, The like, regular college kid is 18 to 21, 22. And we have a lot of students that had to go to rehab or had to take time off. Like myself, I was a seventh year senior. And that was um, that place. Uh, so the scholarship is in place for them um, in, in the sense of the non-traditional student where they may have other bills that they have to pay and a lot of them are working as they're going through school so if we're able to provide a scholarship for them to be able to work less and spend more time on campus at this recovery center and become part of the community a bigger part that is our main focus
2: okay well awesome and uh man i would assume there's other centers like this all around the the country uh they're doing this at other campuses so Bringing some awareness to those too at the same time is a good thing.
0: Yeah, we actually just had a pretty big event uh, at the beginning of February up in Keystone, Colorado, and it was a skiathon and leadership conference where over two hundred students from across twenty-four different universities, different recovery centers at different colleges, came and participated in, which ended up being the largest gathering of students in recovery um, ever wow. to take place. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely becoming more and more common, and there's definitely some challenges that recovery centers are facing with the stigma of alcoholics and drug addicts on college campuses. Um, a lot of schools don't necessarily want to – say or be open to the idea of a collegiate recovery center on their campus because then that's them admitting they have a problem. Right. But in reality, at every, if we had these centers at every college across the country, the retention rates at these schools would be so much greater because then these students that are struggling and there are students at every school that are struggling, whether that's from Drugs or alcohol or eating disorders or anxiety and depression, trauma. I could go on and on, but every school has someone that fits that profile. And if we're able to provide a resource for them to get help at or at least meet other people that will direct them to where they can get help, then they can also do what they're there for, focus on school with less stress and anxiety.
2: Yeah, And
0: I think that is – that's the – quote unquote, fight that's being fought right now is to try to get administration and people to look at it a little differently that this will actually help keep students in school.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said something that really uh, you rang or struck a chord with me is uh, it seemed like the, the biggest realization you had early on in this whole process was that you thought going to college was just a matter of getting drunk and partying. I mean, obviously getting school out of the way, but that that's how everybody treated college. And it was just kind of like status quo with that. But for you to finally realize that that wasn't necessarily the case and that there were other people uh, going to school with you that were in the same boat as you, and you weren't alone in that situation. um, Yeah. That made a, that made a big impression on me. And for what you're doing now, you're actually bringing attention to that to let people know that there are other people in that situation right alongside them and they need to seek them out.
0: Yeah, very much so. And another thing that it took me a while to learn but in this process was I had my friends that I built relationships with either from growing up in Vail with or um, meeting in Boulder and the more, majority of them did party and um you know at first it was kind of Two, I had sober friends, and then I had my other friends that I partied with. And, you know, it, was, it took time, but not making those two groups so separate and understanding that they're not only my sober friends, they're actually, like, true friends <laughs> that I can go to not only to talk about sober stuff, but we can do fun things with each other. That was a huge, a huge step for me. And to, to and where I met those friends was at this recovery center, you know, where it made this transition from just, oh, these are my friends that don't drink too. these are my friends.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. That's big. (laughs) Definitely. Okay. Before we wrap up, where can people go to find out more information about CRC or is there a, a more general site um, that some people might want to go find?
0: Yeah, so the University of Colorado has um, their Collegiate Recovery Center. You can just type in Collegiate Recovery Center on the uh, University of Colorado's page, and it'll bring you directly towards their different resources. Um, they have any everything from housing options to bowling on Friday night or other fun activities that they do together. And then if you're not in Colorado um, and you just want to find out if different colleges... Um, in your area, have these centers. There's something called the Association for Recovery and Higher Education, A-R-H-E. And that is the basically umbrella association that all these schools are under. And I'm not 100% sure because I don't work for this company, um, our institution more so. But um, that is, that's, I think, the go-to place in Um, Collegiate Recovery to find out a little more information. And I can, I'm happy to give you my contact information. If you have show notes or anything like that, Um, I'm more than willing to put my information in here and I could help anyone who's interested as well.
2: Okay. Yeah. Let's do that for sure. I'll catch that after the, after the interview and we'll get that all posted up in the show notes. I also wanted to point people to your, your blog from this road trip, uh, it's an interesting read. It's uh com and it's uh ruckus r u c k u s. So check that out if uh if you want to kind of follow along uh his trip, how it all came about, and see some uh some good writing and some great photos from uh from this little scooter going 4,600 miles up to Alaska. <laughs> yeah. very cool, fun read. <laughs> All right, Robert, man, it was uh, it was great to talk to you. I love that uh, you gave me some time to to bring this, uh, shed a little light on this situation, and uh, and share your tale. And uh, hopefully, maybe we've uh, helped a few other people, uh, maybe break out and, and go seek some help themselves.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you giving me the chance to to share my story. I'm just one of a million cool stories out there, so I'm excited to hear others come on.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. All right, it's been my pleasure. You have a good night, Robert.
0: All right, thanks, fam. All
2: right, thanks. Past guest Gary Collins has just released his new book, Going Off the Grid The How To Book of Simple Living and Happiness. It's available in Amazon and Kindle format at primalpowermethod.com. Go get your copy today. Hey, if you've been enjoying the Adventure Sports podcast, do me a favor go over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. It always helps. Join us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. And if you're not yet a member of the ASP Member Deals site, go check it out. It's members.adventuresportspodcast.com. It's a way for you guys to help support the show while you're getting great content, but you also get some great deals at the same time. So check it out. Thanks for listening, and until the next episode, get out and try something new.